This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell. Hi, welcome back to Money and Markets. I'm Dan from AJ Bell and Shares, and with me is Laith from AJ Bell. Hi, Dan. Hi, yeah. So we're also joined this week by Shares Magazine's deputy editor, Tom Sieber. Hi, Tom. Hi, yeah. Hi, yeah. Good. Well, this week we're going to be looking at how amateur traders in the US are causing huge share price spikes. And we'll also be taking a look at how markets are performing in the UK and Asia. Yes, as well as all that, we'll be delving into cash ISAs, weighing up how they've done in the last 10 years compared to stocks and shares ISA. And we'll also be taking a look at the money that's been stolen by clone scammers and how to protect yourself. But before we get to all that, we're beginning to hit corporate earnings season, uh, both here and in the US. So how's that playing into markets at the moment, Dan? Yeah, I mean, it's quite interesting. I mean, you've got some really big names now starting to sort of update investors about what's been going on. And um, if you think that most of them are, are, are talking about the last quarter's earnings. So this is sort of post um, the summer as society started to reopen, whilst we've had some sort of um, variable lockdown restrictions um, in in sort of the, the time leading up to Christmas, generally I think there's quite high expectations for these quarterly figures. Um, so Microsoft was one of the first to to come out with these numbers, it revealed record profits of 15.5 billion dollars. So um, clearly, it's been a big beneficiary of people working from home um, and sort of driving more usage of its online services. So it reported a thirty. That's a thirty-three percent increase in quarterly profit, and seventeen percent increase in revenue. So that was um, well above what analysts were forecasting. And you know, it, it's some other names like Starbucks also been reporting and didn't do as well. Um, it reported a sales decline, but you know, a decline in sales was was fully expected. But actually, it was it was slightly worse than the analysts had forecast and. Uh, you know, it, it's down to weakness in the US. Um, that was slightly ahead of estimates, um, but actually it was it's still doing quite well in China. So this is quite important that um, you know, Starbucks is very much a global business and it's always going to have territories running at different sort of rates. And, and I think people look to China um, being quite advanced in sort of reopening after the pandemic and to see 5% um, gain there, it, 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 you know, it's just really it's quite encouraging. And and I don't know about you, Lace, but have you have you been sort of urging for your your daily coffee? Because I, I did go just before the latest lockdown into a Starbucks with my kids, and it was just full of delivery drivers. I think Starbucks seems to be embraced this the online model. Um, it shows that people sitting at home are still desperate for their brew. Have you have you been getting some stuff? Not really. No, I've never really understood the kind of you know going to a coffee shop i'm quite happy with some instant coffee i'm a bit of a coffee luddite to be honest with you so i'm probably the wrong person to ask unfortunately dan yeah i'm not the right person to ask either as long as yeah i'm I'm happy with sort of nescafe gold blends that's that's fine yeah. for me there's nothing better yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, how did the shares react dan starbucks shares react yeah i mean obviously they they, they fell a bit i mean this is a you know, the market's clearly got high expectations and even the slightest sort of small disappointment tends to not go down very well. But you know, I think that you know, investors shouldn't really be um, 
looking too much into sort of just three months worth of trading. I mean, this is, this is clearly people should take a much longer term picture here. And um, you know, Starbucks is going through a lot of changes. And I, and I think that you, you, you mustn't judge it on that such a short period. So, I mean, some of the other bits of news that caught my eye in the last week are um, on the UK stock market. We had a couple of clothing retailers sort of making moves in sort of um, various different strategic directions. And first up was ASOS um, in exclusive talks to buy some of the assets from Arcadia, like Topshop and um, Miss Selfridge. I think this is this is quite an interesting interesting move, and it's not a done deal yet. But that, I mean, there is some chatter that if it were to buy sort of the intellectual property in those brands, it, it might actually take on the Oxford Street um, flagship store in London for Topshop. I mean, that that's a, that's a real interesting move because you normally don't see online companies wanting to open physical stores. And the, the only one that sort of springs to mind is Gear for Music, which sells musical instruments online. It has to have a certain number of physical showrooms. Um, and that's a condition of some of the big music instrument makers saying that you know people have got to be able to come in somehow and test our products and so we'll only let you sell them if you have a physical store um but like I say these are only just showrooms and boohoo um bought the intellectual property for debenham so what really surprised me was it's the 10th most visited retail website in the uk I had no idea it was so popular um Either. Yeah, I mean, Tom, have you been? What have you been buying from Debenhams recently? Then I don't remember buying anything from Debenhams recently, to be honest. Um, no, I mean, it, and I, I remember seeing though at the time that some of the brands um, that Debenhams owns are, are surprisingly popular. They, you know, they definitely have a, a kind of core cool following, and I guess Boohoo are, are potentially tapping into that. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's there's definitely options for Boohoo. I mean, it would bring it into the beauty market. It's definitely, sort of cross-selling opportunities there. Um, but I think you know, certainly on my mind is that you know, whilst it seems an interesting move, still can't get over the fact that Boohoo's sort of been tripping up on sort of ESG issues, issues around cover- governance and supply chains, which perhaps still murky the picture. But um, it's quite interesting to see if it can make a make a success of Debenhams, given that you know obviously Debenhams under its former uh, sort of appearance has been struggling for a very very long time. Is is it really Debenhams though, Dan? I mean, it's I mean Debenhams is a department store. I mean, it's it's taking on the name, hasn't it? Really, it's the brand that it's taking on, and it's probably doing new stuff with it, isn't it? I would have thought. Well, yeah, obviously, yeah, it it doesn't want unlike um, potentially what might happen with ASOS. You know, Boohoo's categorically said doesn't want property, so um, it, it's but it's whether you know the Debenhams brand is well known. But is it first of, uh, front of mind when you're you're thinking about buying certain things? I'm not sure. Um, no, I mean, especially there. buying things online. You know, it's I guess although you said it is one of the sort of most popular websites, you do more associate it with a with a department store format, and whether or not people will still be willing to to do as much shopping sort of online through through a Debenhams brand. Great. Well, thanks for that. One of the things we have certainly seen since the start of the pandemic, uh, particularly in the US is the rise of uh, amateur share traders. And and Dan, this week we've had some news that actually a few of them are having quite a big impact uh, on, on the share price of, of some companies in the US. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a huge story and it uh, seems to be you know, getting bigger and bigger by the day. Um, so we essentially this is sort of fueled by social media platforms. So in, in sort of recent months, we've seen... Um, 
big, big increase in people going on to places like TikTok, um, Reddit and Twitter. And it's it seems to be lots of people potentially with no experience or very little experience in investing, but offering up big tips and, uh, you know, almost suggesting that, well, certainly with no risk warnings there. So TikTok, for, for, for listeners who aren't that familiar with the platform, it's mostly used as a place to have quick videos. You might be you know playing around with your friends or um, you know, people sort of doing songs and stuff like that. But it's now been embraced as um, a way for people to sort of um, either boast about how much money they've made on the markets or giving little um, saying, you know, this week you must be buying this stock. And um, let's just, we've got, we've got a little clip to listen to. This is a video that um, has been doing rounds recently. Just an example of how laid back people are on this platform in terms of their sort of um, view of how they think it's really, really easy to to make money in the market. So listen to this clip and have a think. I see a stock going up and I buy it and I just watch it until it stops going up and then I sell it and I do that over and over and it pays for our whole lifestyle. Um, if you're wondering how much you can make doing this, in this month I turned about 400 into 14,000. And in this month, I turned less than a thousand into twenty thousand. And honestly, my favorite part about this isn't even the amount of money you can make, but just the fact that we don't have to go to a nine to five job. Yeah, we can focus on things that we actually enjoy doing. Yeah, so you, you'll notice they, they don't really talk about any risks. They just give the impression it's a simple game, and it's not. It's really easy to lose money on the markets, and particularly they seem to be flocking to stocks that are. Um, you know, certainly less well known when they start to to look at them, and, and so they're very illiquid. And, and the danger is you can't sell when you want to. And I think overall, it's sending the wrong message to people that um, trading or investing is incredibly easy. And I think people you know could get burnt here. I mean, I, and Tom, you got what, what's your sort of sense about how, you know TikTok's role? It, it, you know, I guess we're all about kind of broadening. Um, the appeal of investing and, and people engaging with it, but you're absolutely right. They don't want to be sort of led down a path of thinking that it's, it's a one way bet and that, you know, stocks are only going to go up and, and that it feels very much, you know, it, you hesitate to say it, but it feels like sort of top of the market style behavior, doesn't it? You know, it's, it, it is, it is concerning. I mean, you know, they're entertaining clips to listen to and to look at, but there is a sort of a slightly more disturbing element to them, I suppose. Yeah, and I think there's another worrying factor here is that in the, in America, people seem to be using their government stimulus checks to trade the market. You know, the risk is that people actually need that money to live, but they're getting sucked in to the hype around profiting from the markets. And, and really, it's very similar to you know, the gambling sector um, in in many ways. And so, if you if you the next thing, so perhaps to to touch on is part of um, the bigger activity here with social media platforms is um, something called Wall Street Bets. So this is sort of a section of um, the platform Reddit. So this is an area where people, it's almost like they created this community of people um, getting together to uh, almost decide which stocks they should be buying and, and chasing after them. So the principal target has been the video game retailer GameStop. Now, People haven't looked at this company for years because it's been struggling for a very long time. But over the last six months, the shares are up by more than three and a half thousand percent. They're up more than six hundred percent in the last month. I mean, this is you know this is since Christmas. It's more than six hundred percent. I mean, this is, this is absolutely um, 
unprecedented sort of territory here. And it was the most traded stock in America on the 26th of January, $20 billion worth of stuff. So that's even more than Tesla and Apple and Amazon, those sort of big things. And, and what they're doing is this community in Wall Street Bets sort of channel are looking at stocks that have been heavily shorted um, with the hope of causing a short squeeze. And I think it's very, I think it's probably important I explain to listeners what those terms mean. So short selling means you want to try and profit from a decline in the share price. So someone would um, borrow shares, typically from a fund manager, um, and, and pay a small fee. They would then sell those shares and look to buy exactly the same amount, but at a cheaper price in the future. And then they would take those shares that they bought and, and return them to the original people that they borrowed them from. Um, what happens is when, uh, if the share price doesn't fall and actually starts to rise, people have to put more money into their trading account to keep this bet open, or they are forced to buy at this higher price in order to close out this short bet. Now, this latter thing is called a short squeeze. Now, this is what the community on Wall Street Bets is, seems to be trying to do. They're trying to find stocks that, where lots of people have bets against them at the moment. But if they all pushed up the shares by lots of um, buying, they would turbocharge the pace at which it rises. Um, and so this is what's happening with GameStop. Um, it is quite remarkable. I mean, Le Leith, have you got um, you know, any, any thoughts on short selling or, or have you sort of looked at this area before? Yeah, I guess a, a little bit. Um, I mean, I think this is this is slightly separate activity, isn't it? What's going on on Reddit and Wall Street bets to just people kind of following other people's tips. This is kind of concerted activity by a group of people to, to target short sellers. And in a way, it's kind of ironic because because it's kind of a bit of a taste of the medicine that short sellers themselves dish out to companies, isn't it? I don't know. I mean, you know, there have been examples of, of, of companies like, you know, Muddy Waters and, and, and Gotham City Research in the past that have targeted companies, shorted their shares and then issued a really nasty report about them to, to profit from it. So, you know, a lot of these funds are kind of, you know, big hedge funds that, you know, probably we shouldn't feel too sorry for. I think there's still there's still a risk that for those people who are investing, isn't there? Because, you know, when that short squeeze ends, what's what happens to the stock? Um, it, and yeah. you know it's kind of last person turn the lights out, and you can just see that the people who bought in at the, at the at, you know the kind of the, the last moment are going to be left holding the can. And in that respect, it might end up just working a bit like one of those pyramidal Ponzi schemes for them. In, in that, it's just the people who bought in last that actually shoulder you know all the all the losses to come, along with the short sellers who you know, like I say, are professional investors. So perhaps we shouldn't be too concerned about. Yeah, I mean, a colleague of us says it's a bit like reclaim the streets, where the people are targeting hedge funds, saying that you know they've been the one amassing all the wealth. It's time for someone else to to get rich. I mean, there's um there's a hedge fund called Melvin Capital, who's who was one of the big short sellers in game stock, and and they've been caught out, and they've had to have two point seven billion dollar bailout from their backers. Um, and, and and really, it's it's quite um, you know dramatic things. That every day there seems to be some new twist in this story. And and just the day before we recorded this podcast, Elon Musk 
um, he of Tesla fame, tweet just tweeted game stonk. That's you know on Twitter, just that little that's the one little word if, it, if it's called a real word, but um, it caused this another flurry of buys and added another four billion dollars to the value of GameStop as everyone rushed to buy in. Um, and it was it's quite amazing, but Elon Musk has actually been very critical of short sellers, and you know last year Tesla even briefly sold actual physical shorts that you wear on its website because it was trying to mock traders who were shorting stocks, which I thought you know it's. A uh, bit of a joke, but you know, also a bit of a joke. But like I say, this is serious stuff. And if people who've never invested before are getting sucked in by this hype, um, then you know there is the danger that they could, they could very soon find out that stocks can go down as well as up. It's it's quite interesting that kind of you know over the last twenty years or so, we've been having quite a long debate about active managers and you know whether people who've you know got lots of experience and skill in picking investments can actually deliver value for investors um and the jury's still out on that and lots of people won't invest in active managers and yet we seem to bypass that and people are now just kind of investing in stuff that you know somebody that you know is fairly anonymous online is actually tipping so it feels like a fairly kind of dangerous situation particularly you know if if, if you're taking tips from somebody you know that you have no idea who they are or what experience they've got yeah i mean and you know, the next question people should be asking is is it illegal that you've got a gang of people agreeing to to work together to push up a share price that i mean surely that's market manipulation so it's quite sure reference to that that the sec would would look at look at it for that reason yeah, I mean, you know, say surely you would expect the regulator would do something, but they, but I think you know I've seen lots of counter arguments to it, saying um, people are just seeing an opportunity and um, it's just a different technique, um, the way to do it. I mean, Tom, do you remember the story of Volkswagen when it one yes. just for one day became the world's biggest company? <laughs> yes, I do remember. Yeah, no, exactly. So it's not unprecedented in that sense, I suppose. Yeah. So this so. If you go back a few years um, and say for for a single day, Volkswagen, the car maker, was the biggest company in the world by value. Uh, and, and what happened was that Porsche had found a way to increase its stake in the business without having to tell the market for a while. What it was doing is buying cash settled options where once it had settled these options, it would then own the stock. So it caught the market completely off guard when suddenly one day it said, oh, by the way, we now own nearly three quarters of Volkswagen. Um, and the state of Lower Saxony also owned 20% of the business anyway. So between those two parties, nearly 95% of the shares were suddenly accounted for. And lots of people at the time were had short bets against Volkswagen. So they suddenly found that there was barely any stock in the market for them to go out to buy to order to close out the position. So this caused this massive short squeeze. And very briefly, the share price went absolutely crazy. Uh, and, and so it, it was, you know, it soon settled down afterwards, but it, it showed um, you know, that, that it's not, not directly the same thing that's happening with GameStop because it, it wasn't a concerted effort to try and sort of manipulate the, the market. But um, these short squeezes actually do happen quite a lot so say we'll, we'll come to come to that in in a, just a little bit so first of all i think it's probably worth um 
just talking about what's actually going on with the markets at the moment. So, it, it, so far this year, Asian markets have been doing fantastically. FTSE 100 in the UK was doing really well, but then it seems to have lost a bit of momentum. So, Tom, what are you seeing in the market right now, and whether there's any sort of discernible patterns? Sure. Yeah. Thanks, Dan. So, yeah, after a great start to 2021, the FTSE 100 has has slowly drifted backwards. Um, if you look at how its constituents have performed since the 6th of January, so at that point, you know, a week into the, the year, the index was sitting on a 6% gain. Um, and it's it's been a story really since then of a rotation back into the, the kind of stocks that benefited or did well in lockdown and out of the, the stocks that did very well when there were breakthroughs on vaccines and people were looking forward to a reopening of the economy. Um, so now you're looking at a situation where the FTSE 100 is only up about 2%. So it's only held on to about a third of its gains. And you've seen stocks like banks, um, energy firms, house builders, they've started to struggle. Um, another kind of contributing factor has been strength in sterling. And, and that's, in some ways, that's been a story as much of, of weakness in the euro and the dollar on a, a kind of a slower rollout of vaccines in the eurozone um, and, and a big US stimulus package, um, respectively. And I mean, sterling strength is never that good for the FTSE because it's got a lot of overseas earnings and those overseas earnings are worth less when, when the pound is strong against the dollar and the euro. Um, I mean, I, it'd be interesting to get the views of, of you, Leith and, and Dan, but I mean, I, I guess, you know, part of the reason for, apart from sterling for, for the FTSE slipping back is that we're looking at the prospects of, of a lengthier lockdown. Um, you know, there's increasing travel restrictions being brought in as, as we're seeing these more infectious strains of, of COVID. So I, I don't know if you guys have got any perspective on on why why the FTSE might have slipped back. Yeah, I think probably, probably all, of, all of the above, Tom. Um, you know, it does seem that, you know, I, th- I think we probably have to recognise it had been on, on quite a, pretty, a, a, a good run in the run-up towards, you know, the, 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 the first week of January. So there had been a bit of a boost. Um, I guess, the, you know, the big question is where it goes from here, isn't it? Um, and particularly for the for the rest of the year, and to be honest with you, I'm fairly kind of conflicted about how it's going to all pan out. Partly because, you know, I can see that um, we're going to probably get an economy that's opening up, and this is not just in the UK, but you know, in Europe and the US as well. We're probably going to have positive news flow. It might seem hard to believe it now, but you know, in a couple of months' time, there's going to be positive news flow, probably from. In, from you know the the health sector in terms of the, the 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 pandemic, from companies in terms of opening up, and you can imagine kind of you know companies you know if we do get the opening up up of the economy again, what company statements are going to read like? They're going to be talking about the kind of you know putting the pandemic behind us, looking forward, and, and perhaps you can get some some companies are going to provide more positive outlook. So you've got all of that, which kind of you know provides this very rosy picture. But at the same time, you know, as we've already discussed today, there are signs of really bubbly activity going on and, you know, valuations are, are, are pretty high. And we know that it's been at least in part driven by liquidity provided by central banks. So you've got that kind of, you know, when, when that music stops, that's not going to look pretty. So I find it kind of quite a difficult point at which to say how the markets are going to go at the moment. If the markets do turn for the worst, you know, there seems a high chance that it's the speculative, um, sort of lower quality businesses that will naturally suffer first. Um, you know, if an investor 
is got their money in the market and they've got a very long term view, you know, it, it's it's still very important to pay uh, attention to the, the quality of only companies which you're putting money. Um, you just have to appreciate through if times get tougher for a little bit longer, um, you know, it's the the quality ones that should theoretically be able to to see it through better than sort of lower ones where the market will start to worry about, say, high levels of debt or, or um, you know, the quality of earnings or, or lower margins and stuff like that. So it's uh, it just seems to be um, a reminder that you know, when, when markets are suddenly racing up, can't just pick anything to make money you still got to be very very picky um in what you're doing for sure yeah i mean i think just sort of speaking to Leif's point as well i mean it perhaps you know what we've seen you mentioned um in terms of the outperformance of asian markets is a bit of a window into what it might look like when we do see sort of um you know more of a reopening in in the west as well because you know these these a lot of kind of um asian you know countries have handled the pandemic or, or are kind of further through handling the pandemic perhaps because they've you know had previous experience of outbreaks of, of respiratory diseases and you've seen you know the Hang Seng index in Hong Kong is is the best performing you know major index year to date it's up more than 10 percent um the Nikkei um in Japan is up five percent some of the um the large cat stocks in China have done very well. The FTSE China 50 index, looking at sort of the, the very largest companies, is up 13.8%. So there's definitely been, you know, a, a real trend of, of Asian stocks doing well. I think weakness in the dollar obviously tends to be supportive to to those um, economies because a lot of, of their debt is held in, in dollars as well. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, it, it is interesting to see how well Asian stocks have done. Um, coming back to the UK, though, and we touched on it before, we're definitely starting to see a little bit, I mean, only in the last day or so of what you were talking about with, with GameStop happening in the UK. So um, if, if looking at the, the sort of list of best performers since the 6th of January, the one the, the one that I was referring to earlier, um, Pearson is right up the top. Um, Sainsbury's is, is also there. And both of those are among the most heavily shorted UK stocks. Um, they have both had encouraging updates in the new year, but Pearson in particular, which last time I checked today was up, uh, you know, around about nine percent, ten percent on the day we're recording this on on absolutely zero news flow, seems to be being backed on a, a similar rationale to to some of um, the US companies, including GameStop that that you were talking about, Dan. Um, yeah, do you think it's do you think people are just trying to run the same playbook? It does look that way. I mean, it, Pearson is. Um, a stock that has struggled or has been very up and down at least for for quite some time because it's it's transitioning away from you know it used to sell a lot of very expensive academic textbooks very you know lucrative business for it and that that business has dried up and it's tried to transition into you know the digital side and obviously that part of the business is being given impetus by lockdown because people are you know it focuses on education materials and people are are you know I've, I'm having experience of homeschooling at the moment, so I'm fully aware that that's 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 a reality for a lot of people. But yes, you, you've seen Cine World, which is another heavily shorted stock, um, that was up perhaps nine, ten percent, sort of on the day we're recording as well, um, and that's another heavily shorted stock. So it might be worth keeping an eye on some of the other very heavily shorted names, which 
looking at the the short tracker website which which is a you know useful resource online where you can look at look at the names that are being being shorted that's that's names like shopping mall um landlord hammerston you've got uh, the middle east um payments for payments processing firm network international and then there's a few resources stops on there as well so you've got premier oil petrofac tallow oil and petro pavlovsk so yeah it, it does seem i mean whether or not it'll happen to quite the same extent it's happened in the us it does seem like it's starting to bleed through a little bit into the uk market great thanks for that tom um now some bad news to report from the financial regulator the fca financial scams uh, are increasingly prevalent they say particularly clone scams tom can you just talk us through a bit what a clone scam is and why they've been on the rise recently yeah thanks Lee. so the reason we're talking about this is there's a release out um from the the uk's national reporting center for fraud and cybercrime crime sorry cybercrime which is called action fraud and it, it revealed that people were scammed out of 78 million um, in 2020 by so-called clone investment firms. Um, I feel like we've been hearing about online scams for almost as long as it's been the internet. But I think, you know, they've come a long way from the, the kind of Nigerian prince emailing you. Um, you know, it, fraudsters are getting increasingly sophisticated. Um, a clone investment firm is one that's set up by criminals using the name, address and firm reference number of companies which were authorised by the regulator, the, the FCA. Um, and, you know, they're, they're, they are really sophisticated in the way they target people. So you'll be directed from an advert, maybe on a social me- media platform or a search engine, and they will link to, to what looks like an exact replica of the website of a genuine investment firm. And then if you if you are sort of if you go as far as, as maybe entering your contact details, you'll be contacted using an email address which is a lookalike for, for those of the real company. And it's very clear from from what Action Fraud is saying that there's been a, an increase in this type of activity during lockdown. Um, the, the reports of, of scams increased twenty nine percent apparently in April twenty twenty compared with March. And it's sort of anecdotally, I've certainly seen more examples of scams and, and probably sort of more convincing ones in, in the last sort of nine to 12 months. I don't know if that's something you guys have seen. I don't know, actually. I mean, I, 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 maybe I have seen them and I, and I haven't even noticed. Um, I'm kind of pretty careful in terms of what I do with my, my details. You know, and I tend to kind of only put kind of informational bank details into something if I've, you know, initiated something, <laughs> if I've no, kind of I'm actually looked is- something up. Yeah, no, it's a good policy. I mean, I, I'm not saying necessarily that I've fallen prey to it, but I've seen it shared amongst all family members and friends, you know, kind of warning each other about scams. And they are they are more convincing, you know, than perhaps they have been in the past. I don't know. What, what do you think, Dan? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely we see examples um, sort of perhaps sent into us by um, sort of listeners and readers of, of the, the stuff that we write, um, pointing out, saying, you know, this does in it, initially looks so so convincing but um i guess you've got to sort of constantly check um all the details and uh and if it does you know it comes down to think if it sounds too good to be true it probably is and um to be very very cautious about it but yeah yeah i mean uh, just just on that i mean one thing that struck home with me is that they you know in this release action fraud put out they quoted a victim of one of these scams and it resonated with me for for two reasons one the person was from chester and that's where my mum and dad live but also this person is a finance officer so you'd think they'd be pretty savvy when it comes to sort of managing their own money but they were still caught out and i think it's a reminder not to be complacent um 
because one of the interesting things they flag that that these clone investment firms are doing is they're not offering kind of ridiculous returns. They're not. We're not talking about this sort of the the snake oil salesman to saying you can double your money in in the space of a year. They're just offering a little bit better than the market rate to entice people to part with their cash. Um, so the key things that that they're talking about in terms of protecting yourself is is visiting the FCA register to make sure the firm you're dealing with is authorized and only using the contact details that are on the register. So not any details that a firm might might hand out to you. Um, and to, to look out and just check if there's any kind of minor differences, if the number looks different, you know, the phone number that you're being called on or the email address looks slightly different from, from what it should. And if you're still not sure, you know, it, they, they urge you to call the FCA's help, consumer helpline and, and kind of try and get more information. And um, I think, you know, as this podcast and, and AJ Bell's very own Tom Selby was saying, the, the golden rule should be that if you're any doubt about whether or not a firm you're dealing with is legitimate, just don't part with your savings. You know, it's as simple as that. Good, good advice. So the ISA season is now upon us and many people will be wondering what they should be doing if they've got uh, any of the allowance left over um, before the 5th of April deadline. So, Late, I know you've been looking at some of the long-term returns from ISAs, particularly cash ones. Have they done very well or not? Well, yeah. I mean, we've been looking at over over the last 10 years, actually, just to kind of get a flavour of what, what's been going on. And cash ISAs, as you might expect, haven't done particularly well because of the low interest rate environment. I think what's probably a little bit... Um, unexpected maybe um, from the cash ISA returns is that the average cash ISA actually hasn't beaten inflation over that period. Um, so money's actually gone backwards in terms of, of its buying power um, over the last 10 years, um, which obviously isn't particularly good news for anyone um, who, who's had a cash ISA. I mean, I guess, you know, trying to put some positive spin on it because let's try because it's January and it's miserable and we're in lockdown. You know, the, I guess the positive is that you haven't lost too much, you know, in terms of the kind of la- how it's performed over the last 10 years. Your average cash ISA has returned 16.6%. That comp- compares to kind of CPI inflation of just over nine, 19%. So you're talking about kind of a, a, three, a 3% loss. But I think perhaps what, what puts that into kind of into stark perspective really is you know the fortunes of of stocks and shares ISA investors you know if you look at those the last 10 years have been pretty kind um to most uh, most investors you know if you look at open ended funds which is where you know probably most ISA invest stocks and shares ISA investors put their money the the average fund sector has returned 100% over that period so um, that's that's basically doubling your money, uh, and you know some sectors, notably you know tech and telecoms in North America, have done done significantly better than that. So, you know, there's there's been this big divergence between kind of savers and, and investors o- over the last ten years, and you know part of that is 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 down to monetary policy. I'd I'd probably say that you know actually for stocks to beat cash over you know, a 10 year period isn't, you know, particularly a statistical anomaly, you'd, you'd expect that. And that's kind of the risk that, um, you know, that, 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 well, that's the reward that, equ- that equity investors get for taking the risk, isn't it? That's, you know, their extra premium that they get for the ups and downs uh, and the fluctuations compared to cash. But 
uh, I think that relationship has probably been um, extremified, if that's a word, um, by the by the last ten years and the loose monetary policy, which has really kind of pulled apart the returns that you've got the, from, you know, stocks and bonds on one hand and and cash on the other. And so, how how does that sort of stack up in terms of the outlook? Do you think this is going to be the case going forward? You know, for the next decade potentially. Uh, well, you know, I, I guess none of us have a crystal ball, but you know, we're starting at a point where you know, interest rates are even lower than they were 10 years ago, which is quite remarkable to say that, seeing as, you know, 10 years ago, they were at 0.5%. And at the time, I remember everybody going, you know, Bank of England can't do that, 0.5%. And obviously, things have moved on since then. And we're now sort of toying with the idea of negative rates. And and it doesn't look like like rates are going to improve um, any time soon. Um, and, you know, the markets, the markets, you know, who knows? Um uh, I think one of the thing for me, things for me is, is about markets is that kind of over the longer term, they are a bit more predictable. So whereas I wouldn't like to pin any amount of money on the stock market beating cash over the next year, I'd be pretty comfortable doing that over 10 years. You know, it's not guaranteed, but I think, you know, the chances are that, you know, the market will outperform cash over, over 10 years, kind of irrespective of what, what happens with, with monetary policy. Um, and I think probably for savers and investors, you know, speculating about, you know, what, what, what direction the markets and interest rates are going to take is not really particularly helpful, to be perfectly honest. You, as a saver or investor, you probably just need to break down, you know, what you've, what you've got in terms of, you know, money that you're going to need in the next five years. And if you need money in the next five years, then that should probably be in, in cash. Um, if you're looking at putting money away for five to 10 years, then you can start to think about maybe investing some of it in the market and and if you're thinking about investing for more than for more than 10 years then probably you start to think that you know most or all of it um should be should be in the market um you know quite interesting stuff from the fca in december came out as well just showing that you know they thought that that people were holding too much too much cash or you know that they thought that people hadn't really considered what to do with the cash and 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 whether they should be actually putting more um, into into investments that, that get get them higher returns and you know particularly with lockdown meaning that lots of people have probably built up cash balances probably a lot of them in current accounts paying not very much interest it might be worth kind of you know revisiting that question yeah so we, we will just on the subject of ices we're going to have a look at um how all the different ones work is so what we really want to know is any questions from listeners who want to know a bit more about ISIS um, in the run up to the end of the tax year. So can you just email us podcast at asiabell.co.uk, anything at all to do with ISIS and, and we'll pull together a special show um, in the sort of next month or two. But that's it for everything from us now this week. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Um, please do Tell all your friends and family uh, about the show uh, and leave us a review if you can. That would be great. And we will catch you next time. Bye for now. Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and the views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of AJ Bell or Shares Magazine. The podcast isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. And don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. It's also important to remember that tax rules apply and that the way an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor.